0: Well, welcome to another edition of the horse Round podcast. Andy Lindahl, Andrew Mason here with you for another Thursday night edition, this time a Thursday night football game, Andrew, that means a lot to uh, everybody observing the AFC West division as the Chiefs and Raiders decide to have five final plays and score the same touchdown about four out of those five times. And ultimately the Raiders get out by the skin of their teeth with a nice 31-30 victory over Kansas City. So many things to talk about. So much importance now placed on this Bronco-Charger game. Um, so many things changed just because of this one outcome tonight. First and foremost, though, was it really worth all the drama for you to have the basically the game end the same way it would have had you not called the original pass interference call? Well,
1: it wasn't worth it, but at the same time, it was a good call. I mean, he, he was down before he got to the end zone. So they got the call right. And the whole point of replay is to get the call right now. Now, now with a, with
0: Andrew, I'm not arguing that one. Let me stop you there. Yeah. They did place the ball at the right spot. I'm talking about yeah. the original Crabtree shove-off at the beginning. Oh. Now, that was a P.I.? It was. But you and I both yes. know normally they don't call it. And then maybe it wasn't as egregious a PI that ultimately ended the game, but it still was a shove off at the end of the game.
1: Yeah, I think they could have kept calling penalties, and this thing could have been going on for another hour or two. Because in that situation, think about it: if you're if you have the Chiefs' perspective, if the Raiders keep throwing it into the end zone, the Chiefs have every incentive to just grab indiscriminately and hope at some point, hey, it's not called and you'll just be another, untimed. and if there's a flag, oh well, it's just another untimed down, you do it over and over again, maybe at some point they drop a pass or something and it doesn't get called and and then that's it, but I thought they got, the, certainly the, the replay, like I mentioned, they got right, but yeah, the, the P.I., yeah, you, you could have not called that, but at the same time, if you look at the standard for, for that drive, I mean, they were calling it, I wouldn't say they were calling it tight, they were calling it reasonably, I didn't really have a Personal complaint about the Crabtree call, and certainly, you know, going back earlier on that possession, the earlier uh, offensive pi uh, when Holton got his hands got uh, got his, his hands in the face mask, you know, or not grabbing it, but certainly in the face mask, in the face shield area. I mean, the willingness to call offensive pass interference uh, on the drive was established, and frankly, I'd like to see offensive pass interference called because I don't think it's called enough in football. I think it should be called more often.
0: So, how do you want an end of a game to play out? Should they just let them play, or should they be calling it by the book? Because ultimately, I think the Raiders got what they deserved. I, I, I now look. Did Crabtree extend on the original PI? Absolutely. And is it one that is it a call that you could make? I guess so. But I guess at the end of the game, I feel like. Everybody just kind of knows that's what it's going to be. I, I don't know. Now, look, did they get that replay right? I absolutely give him credit for getting the replay right. You know, um, I mean, his rear end was down and it was going to make for another interesting replay because had they called that forward progress or momentum or whatever you want to say that carried him into the end zone before the play ended, then you would have had this, you know, the ball grazing the grass. And what does that mean? And was it secured properly? I'd rather they called it the way they did than deal with Another muddied call as to whether the skin of the ball is allowed to touch the grass because it wasn't secured or whatever else we could have come up with.
1: I've never bought into the notion that if it's a penalty at an earlier point in the game, it shouldn't be a penalty at the end. To me, a penalty is a penalty. And if it's holding in the first quarter, it should be holding in the fourth quarter with 30 seconds to go of a tie game or a close game. So... And I know there's like the whole thing of, oh, let them play, let them play. And, and I, I get where that notion comes from. But you've got to let them play within the parameters of the game. To me, the parameters of the game, the rules of the game, they shouldn't suddenly change just because all of a sudden it's a high-leverage situation at the end. I mean, what, all of a sudden you're playing a, a different sport just because it's a tie game or a close game in a late situation? I, I don't buy that.
0: Here's what's funny. I get. Look, when it comes to the original call, the Crabtree push-off, he extended both hands. Do I really have a problem with you making the call? No, I don't. But I guess ultimately, you're turning a blind eye to the late push-off, too, is my point. Either we're going to go ticky-tack, or you boys are going to be able to play a little bit. But let's decide. And then, I mean... In fairness, Kansas City got a call against them that you normally don't see late as much yeah. either. You know what I mean? So it almost, t- I, it just felt like they had, they knew they had to give another mm-hmm. chance. I, I don't know. I, Andrew, I don't have a right an- answer on this one. I just find it interesting. Do you know My point yeah. being you ended up letting them play anyway. So why mm-hmm. not just let them play to begin with?
1: I, I get that. At the same time though, I mean, I looked at the last drive in general, seeing the calls that were made on both sides and I thought, the standard and the interpretation was pretty fair to both teams if I'm walking out of that game in general I I'm not thinking okay it was one thing one way and it was one thing another way over the course of, of 60 minutes I think you know even toward the end I mean if you're if you're erring on the side of calling it tight fine but I think it's it seemed like there were tight calls uh, against the Raiders and tight calls against the Chiefs, it wasn't a situation like that. Uh, you've got Philadelphia fans that are campaigning to have Pete Morelli never officiate Eagles game again because there was a gross imbalance in penalty calls in last week's Thursday night game between the Panthers and the Eagles. It wasn't anything quite like that. In that sense, I was okay with it. Whether it's tight or loose, I just want to see the same call. Generally made both ways, and over the course of this game, not just at the end, but over the course of the 60 minutes, I felt like for the most part, this was a pretty fair and even game officiated by this crew. It wasn't one that raised a lot of red flags to me, and believe me, we've seen a lot of games recently where you can look at some of the officiating and say, oh boy, that that was kind of questionable. I think you can say this was tight, but not questionable.
0: Okay, I'm not done with this game. And by the way, I don't know why Pete Morelli seems to think that he's got to favor one side or the other all the time because I I, I know in Denver we feel like it's quite often when Morelli's here, you're playing two teams that day. I'm just, that's that's my personal opinion, but whatever. Um, okay, so since we're on the topic of the refereeing and we have to go back to what it means with the Raiders' victory tonight and the Chiefs falling back and on and on and on, but look, the refereeing you described that you didn't want to see, I felt played out last week in the Bronco game. Now, I there was not enough effort or execution for them to win the game, and I need to make that clear. I'm not sitting here being a homer, crying about the whistles, but I do think the effort, the energy level, the execution, all that stuff had to be better, and the Broncos have to look themselves in the mirror as to why they fell to the New York Giants. However, as you well know, as we've talked about before, I like to take pictures from the sideline. Uh We post them various places in our building, and I use them uh for the fans that follow me strictly for Bronco content. And I have a couple too many pictures of Derek Wolfe getting tackled, of uh, Sh- Shelby Harris getting shoved in the back, which allows Manning to break the pocket. It-, it just felt like one set of physical rules was being applied as the Broncos receivers couldn't get enough. They couldn't get any separation from some of these Giants defenders. They were just allowed a little carte blanche as far as physicality beyond the five yards, and yet the Broncos constantly, even on running plays, getting called for holding, and it just kind of drove me nuts. To your point, the whistle to me was not an even whistle going both ways last week.
1: Well, I would say that in general on the holding, I feel like I can point to Von Miller in particular every game and say there's holds that are being missed. Opposing offensive linemen, opposing tight ends, holding him. And it's not called. That's the kind of thing that seems to happen week after week after week. It bothers me that so many times he'll get grabbed some and, and taken to the ground, and it's clearly beyond the rules, and it's not being called. And and that's the kind of thing it, fr- it does frustrate you. Now, again... Like you said, so much else that was happening in that game that contributed to the loss, a lot of it was on the Broncos' shoulders. That This is not to get into the officiating, belly-aching thing and say the Broncos lost because of calls or, or no calls. But at the same time, it does get frustrating after a while. You know, When you see certain things happening week after week after week, and... You don't see it being called both ways. That that that's a point of frustration, and i I, I do see where you're I do see where you're coming from on that. But because especially, I see it happening with Law Miller week after week, and I've seen it last year, and I saw it the year before, and the year before. It's just one of those things that I, it's almost like just you've it's all you, you've been kind of at least from my perspective. I've been kind of grounding into acceptance of, about it. But it is what it is, but it doesn't make it any less
0: frustrating. Yeah, well, it's like death and taxes. I don't like either, yeah. even though they're guaranteed. Yeah. And I don't care. You know, I don't think Vaughn should be penalized, pardon the pun, yeah. because the other offensive linemen aren't good enough to stay with him. That shouldn't be his problem. Yeah. That shouldn't allow a little bit of holding to go on or you'd have to call it every play. That's not his issue. This That's, isn't
1: golf. You shouldn't have it. There shouldn't be handicaps out there. Right.
0: And I guess – even though I, like I said, I don't like what we saw as far as effort execution and energy level off the bye last week. I'll continue to say it. And the Broncos have to fix that. They've got to up that. They've got to come back to it. But the reality is there are calls that change the complexion of a game. No matter what you do, I felt Devontae Booker was grabbed by the linebacker trying to cover him as he tried to make his way to the corner of the end zone. That to me, that to me going by a standard, the standard is it's usually called and usually the offense has the ball at the one yard line. Now, unfortunately, the Broncos proved on the fourth down play in the fourth quarter that sometimes the, the one yard line isn't enough. I can't guarantee they would have scored a touchdown, but you don't know, and then you don't know what kind of momentum you get. You don't know what kind of energy change you have. That's why this officiating thing is is uh, it's it's just one of those things that it's not easy for me to let go because the ebbs and flows of a game oftentimes how many times did the Broncos have a big gain called back because of some kind of holding? That then was not turned around and handed to the Giants. I mean, these are the things that I'm taught. You're either calling the close holding or you're not. You know, you, you can't, I don't like the, you're going to call it on Garrett Bowles because he's a rookie, but you're not going to call it on the veteran that's battling Vaughn Miller. It. I don't know. I, I just thought for a home game that it was very interesting how one team was allowed to play. So. Or
1: the, no, or the notion that you should call something on a player just because he's a rookie, but you don't call that on a veteran.
0: Well, and we see it happen all the time, right? If you're the uh-huh. pro bowler, you typically get the, typically get the nod. But right uh-huh. now, Vaughn Miller's dealing a little bit with what Carmelo Anthony used to deal with, where he never got any calls and he was Denver. I, I don't know. Whatever. It's The other thing I don't like, and sometimes, and, and hey, every team is the benefit of this at some
1: point, I don't like the late flag coming in after a player yes. lobbies for a call. Like, if that call comes in two seconds later, that's always bothered me. To me, the official should not be making his call based upon a player's protest. I mean, uh, maybe I just have a different perspective on it, but if a player or a coach is screaming for a call, if I'm the official, I'm less likely to you know, to throw a flag. I mean, I think of it like in basketball, for instance. You see someone like Mike Krzyzewski working the officials, and I've seen this from courtside at some press tables over the years. And, and I've seen him, you know, turn red faced working an official, and I and, and I've seen him kind of grind down a refereeing crew over a game, and eventually start getting the calls. And I think to myself, every time I see this, like I think, you know, if I was that ref and this guy was pelting me with a fusillade of obscenities, I would be less likely to make calls in his team's favor. I would actually go in the opposite direction and think, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving you the benefit of any doubt.
0: Well, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to add an addendum to your protest because I also don't like it when you wait to see if the play is successful before you throw the flag. Yeah, a flag's a flag whether the play is successful or not. Right. I'm not, and you and I, you and I thought that's where you're going when you first started with that because I don't like it. Oh, he caught the pass, so now I'm going to throw the flag. Had he dropped the pass, I'll just let it go. That's not the way to call a game. That's not the way to call a game. It's it's, also more frustrating when I see the late flag because you wanted to see if it was going to do anything first. Mm-hmm. So anyway, let's get back to the matter at hand, which is the Chiefs now losing two in a row. That'll be the Broncos' next opponent. They get 10 days to get ready for a home game against Denver the night before Halloween. Uh, it's one of the scenarios I haven't liked for a while, but the, before they get to the Chiefs, the Denver's, uh, Denver has to deal with the Chargers. Um, This becomes a very important game because all of a sudden, as you said, you can either be even with the Chiefs in the loss column. You wouldn't take the division lead because they'll still have one more uh, game than you because they've not had their bye week yet. So they'll still be at five wins. You're hoping to get to four. But you both would be at two losses. Or you're going to have the Raiders sniffing right up uh, the old backside there as they've now moved uh, to three and four on the year so, who are you pulling for tonight? Did the Broncos ultimately get the Thursday night result, do you think, that they were hoping for? I, I
1: think so. And the, the thing with the Raiders, it, if you take a look at what's looming for them, uh, the Raiders don't have an easy road uh, ahead of them over the next few weeks. And it's, it starts to when they go to Buffalo next week for a Pretty tricky road game, as we know. We saw what happened to the Broncos in Buffalo. Then at Miami, they get their bye. Then New England in Mexico City. So the Raiders are away from Oakland for three consecutive games. They're not back in Oakland until they play Denver after Thanksgiving. And then down the stretch, they have three of their last four on the road at Kansas City, Dallas at home, at Philadelphia, at the Los Angeles Chargers. So I look at what the Raiders have in front of them, and they're already th- they're three and four, and their defense, even though Navarro Bowman gives them a nice little boost, I don't think it's enough for them to fix entirely what ails them. So the Chiefs are still better positioned to make a sustained run and contend in the AFC West than the Raiders are. That's why I think if you're the Broncos, you probably wanted the Raiders to win this game and get another loss in the Chiefs' fuselage. Another thing to consider about this result, Andy, is this. If the Broncos win Sunday in Los Angeles, they've already got three division wins in their back pocket. The significance of that is this. They can go to Kansas City... And even if they lose, they will still have control of their fate in the AFC West because they would be a game back in the loss column, but they would have Kansas City coming in in week 17. The Chiefs would still have their bye. And the Broncos, if they, you know, let's say that, let's assume that they won out to assume like you had control of your fate and all that. If they won out, they would win the division no matter what the Chiefs did because the Broncos would have a tiebreaker because the Chiefs have this loss to the Raiders. And so if the Broncos beat the Chiefs once and beat the Raiders in Oakland Thanksgiving weekend, they could be 5-1 and one in the division if they beat the Charger on Sunday, whereas the Chiefs, because of this loss, if the Broncos beat them once, the best the Chiefs could do in the division is 4-2. So the Broncos could win the tiebreaker. That's what I'm
0: saying. Well, the other thing that's going to get real interesting after tonight is the reports of Mar- Marshawn Lynch after getting into a scuffle mm-hmm. and subsequently shoving a ref. Adam Schefter just pointed out that, uh, and Mike Kliss just tweeted as well about marshawn lynch leaving the stadium and what do you do what does this mean i mean the raiders just had their gutsiest come from behind probably at least at this point for the moment it's a season saving win tony romo made that very clear on the broadcast all night and you just laid out the ugly road that lies ahead of them i think the only schedule that's worse than the broncos is the is the Raiders, and really as you look at the quality of opponents, some of the teams we thought might be good may not be so good. The Broncos may not have as bad a road as the Raiders when it's all said and done after they survive the three-game road trip. So with have we seen the last of Marshawn Lynch, I guess i got to ask you, in a Raider uniform?
1: Well, it's interesting because it's not like Marshawn Lynch was doing all that well. He's averaging 3.7 yards carry. Mm. Jalen Richard's been more effective for them. Now he's more of a speed back, and he's not necessarily going to be an every-down guy. But at the same time, he's been more explosive when he's been out there. And at this point, maybe if you don't have Marshawn Lynch or if you if if they just say, okay, he's out of the picture, then you just ride Derek Carr for as as long as you can see where that goes from there. That's probably going to be their plan if because of this incident, Lynch is out of the picture and it'll be interesting to see how they end up handling it going forward but
0: and if he even wants to come back this is a guy that's already walked away before
1: yeah and he's got his ring i mean he i think he was coming back basically kind of be with the hometown team being an Oakland guy but other than that i mean what's the what's the motivation he's got his championship ring and it's not like he has anything that he really needs to add to his ledger and he wasn't really carrying the offense, I think, the way a lot of people hope. Now, granted, you know, there was some rust there, clearly, I thought, in, in watching him over the course of the season. He looked to me like a guy who'd taken a year off. I equated his performance so far this year to what John Riggins did a long time ago after he took a year off because he held out in 1981 he came back to Washington he struggled a little bit it wasn't until 82 when he really got his legs under him and went on that playoff run that basically put him in the hall of fame and wasn't surpassed for postseason excellence until Terrell Davis came along so sometimes it does take a little time to get your sea legs back under you when you take that year off but if this incident ends up pushing Marshawn Lynch out the door he's not going to have the chance to do that
0: yeah, I, don't, I guess we'll wait to see in the coming days what comes of it. Um, I don't think you can leave a team that Jack Del Rio coaches at halftime and think that's going to be an easy slide back into the locker room. Oh, no. <laughs> so we'll, Not at all. Yeah, we'll we, see. We know a lot about Jack Del Rio from being around Denver, and he will not take that without a certain degree of anger, no doubt. All right, let's talk about this Broncos squad. By the way, we've already spent so much of this podcast talking about other things that are just outside the Bronco realm, even though it does affect them. We'll have to talk at one point, maybe even next week, about the Thursday Nighters. If they continue to be good, you know, you and I both know the NFL sort of tried to highlight some divisional matchups that maybe wouldn't affect playoff races because they knew these Thursday Night games were tough to play. But the more we get these exciting Thursday Nighters, the more the ratings are going to go up and the more we're going to start to see, I think, more marquee matchups on a short week, which I'm not sure is really what everybody should hope for, but uh, well, it is what it is. Right on some of them, though. I mean, think like Philadelphia, Carolina. You know, those were two teams that were
1: not playoff teams last year, and they and you took a roll of the dice on both of them, and that came up aces. So good for the NFL getting that one right. The next week they get Baltimore and Miami, and now both of them are around 500 and. Miami's got some momentum under. It. They had that huge upset in Atlanta last Sunday, but you're also talking about two teams that are 29th and 32nd in net points per possession right now.
0: So, well, and by the way, I can tell by Twitter, I've seen a bunch of you know <laughs> uh, notifications basically telling me that everyone is not happy about how the game ended. And, uh, oh, well, you know what, whatever, the debate for another day. All right, let's get on to this Bronco game. This is all of a sudden massively important. You can't go down. I I mean, you know it, Andrew, I don't have to tell you. You're the one that gave me the stats, so I guess I'm stealing your work here a little bit. But the last couple times the Broncos have had these three-game road trips, and I believe you told me the last time was in 2014, and I know the 1997 squad had one um, where they basically went one and two. And Mm -hmm. right now, I'd like to believe they can be better than one and two um, I don't like the Kansas City gets ten days. I don't like the Kansas City's angry before you go in there. When well, not even ten days, eleven days, because it's a Monday nighter. They get that weird kind of long break, like we had last year when it was San Diego and Houston back to back, and you played on a Thursday in your color rush uniforms, and then hosted Brock Osweiler and the Houston Texans on a Monday night game that all saw. Um, so we'll see if that doesn't help the Chiefs the way it helped the Broncos, but. Um I I feel like you got it this is a must have. I I know I know that folks around the football world that aren't the media don't like the term must win but to me Andrew this is a must win. Yeah. It's it's a must win because
1: of the divisional game. It's a must win because of what lurks around the corner as in Chiefs, Eagles, Patriots. As in 5 and 2, 5 and 1, 4 and 2 and and the Patriots being you know the defending champions. You've got to have this game. You've got to be three and zero in the division. You've got to get back to four and two. You bet know, two games above five hundred. If you get this one, and it means at least you got something. At minimum, you got something out of the road trip. And frankly, I mean, I think if you get this, you can get some confidence back under you and ensure that the Giants game and everything that went wrong was more of an aberration than anything else, then you've got a chance to maybe get out of this trip with a plus 500 record and get one of the games against the Chiefs and and the Eagles. Look, I think we've seen over the course of the season to date, the Broncos in some ways have played to the level of competition so far. That can be a little bit of a maddening tendency, but it's something that we've seen out of this team for better or for worse. So, that leads you believe, certainly, that they can play with the Chiefs and they can play with the Eagles, and if things break right, they can certainly go in and beat them. You've got a lot of experience on this team. A lot of guys on this club have won a lot of big games and won big games on the road, so you know they know how to go in to hostile environments and win, but you've got to have this game. I mean, you've got to make sure that, you t- that you've that. you nipped this crisis from playing a game like that against the Giants. You've nipped this crisis In the bud. You make sure it's just a one game thing that doesn't happen again. It's absolutely crucial.
0: So do you lean on your running game to make that happen, Andrew? Because yes. you're coming in there, you, you're going to have a game plan that may have to look like the Giants. Don't care how many points we score offensively. Don't care if the yardage looks pretty. Because you can tell from Joe Woods and, and Vance Joseph talking this week, they're mighty, mighty annoyed that such a low yardage total got another team of victory in their house. You may have to play the same kind of game. Who cares what the numbers are at the end of the day? Just have more points at, the, at, at on that scoreboard.
1: Well, yeah, and the thing is, you know, Corey Leggett may not play in this game. So that further compromises their run defense, but watching the chargers and they're struggling to stop the run anyway. Now the pass rush is outstanding. We know what Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram can do. They've got 13 sacks between the two of them are arguably the best one, two edge pass rush in the league, but they've struggled to defend the run. They're right down, you know, right. I've been right down there at the bottom of the league against the run the entire season, watching the, the tape. You can see times where they go heavy in the box and teams are still able to find holes on them. I was looking at a couple of plays against Philadelphia that jumped out in particular, and I see a single high safety and I see a a box stacked with eight guys and the Eagles are still getting seven or eight yards and they're still gashing. So that kind of tells you about the struggles of the chargers run defense. When they're stacking everything to stop the run, they're still struggling at times to stop the run. So, I think you come out and you run right at the Chargers. You've got the tools to do this, whether it's C.J. Anderson, Jamal Charles, Devontae Booker. You're riding the hot hand. I wouldn't be surprised if one of them gets rolling and you keep feeding them the ball. Uh, and then supplement that even with a screen game. I think that's your your compliment to the running game with those three guys, maybe the screen game with those three guys, and that helps take the take some of the eggs off the pass rush a little bit. And this may be the game where the three headed monster at running back is what carries you. And hey, it may not be sexy, it may not be the plan that gets you a thirty one or thirty five point game, but it might be the best way to get out of there with a win, which is which is the only thing you're concerned about.
0: Let's also hope that you and I are breaking down a victory when we break down next week's Thursday night game in front of what will be an absolutely huge matchup with the Chiefs either way. Um Either to get momentum back and a must-have again or just to try to even crawl back in the division. And I'll tell you what, when Alex Smith isn't playing perfectly and he's missing a few passes and, and the Chiefs caught a lot of breaks tonight not to win that game, a lot of drop passes that could have been interceptions, you know, Uh, It's going to be interesting. I'm curious to see where the Chiefs trend from here after these next couple games. That's your Horsin' Around podcast. He's, of course, our Oracle, Andrew Mason. Check out his power rankings right now. They're on the site as well. We'll talk to you next week on Horsin' Around on DenverBroncos.com.